Swim check one, two. Bike check one, two. Run check one, two. I think we're ready. Let's try this. Welcome to the Try Beginner's Luck podcast, a podcast where we explore the sport of triathlon from a variety of perspectives to help beginner triathletes on their journey. I am your host, Nashonda Shines. Well, welcome back to another edition of Try Beginner's Luck. Yes, I am overwhelmed with so much joy to be with you on today. Ooh, I cannot express my gratitude for being here today because I have a guest who has been in the tri space since he was 14 years old. And he took his love for triathlon and turned it into a business. And now he puts on triathlons I will say nationwide, but specifically on the West Coast. Listen, without further ado, I'm bringing to you Mr. Low, Mr. No Limits himself, Lance Panagetti. You got it. No, and thank you for having me on. Thank you for being here. I feel like I can breathe now. I got your name correctly. Names are one of those things for me that I do take pride in saying people's names correctly. And I often don't always get an opportunity to in various settings because things are happening so fast, but it's important because your name is important and it's special. And so if I, and this is for whoever's listening, if I never get your name right, please let me know. I am never too big to not self-correct. But with that said, let's welcome to the show. No, I'm excited to be here. It's, it's been a while since I've done a podcast and we've just been in race mode, race after race. And so season's winding down for us. You're right. The season is winding down for you or the season could have ended. Who knows? Because, <laughs> okay, in all fairness and honesty, and I know our viewers know this by now, I don't know when this airs, but I try to do a lot of my interviews ahead of time just to make sure I'm doing the best in bringing you content And then I piecemeal things together on how I feel like the flow should go. And so we are in at the end of uh, tri season. And so I hope that this will air before it really ends. But in case it doesn't, just know that we are taping this a little bit earlier in the fall um, as we're getting ready to um, launch this new season. 14 years old, Lance. Was it your choice to get into triathlons at 14 years old? Or were you like coerced to get into triathlons? I want to hear the story. Yeah. So um, I call myself the oops baby. I was the youngest of four. And geez, way back when I was four years old, my family happened to be on a family vacation on the big island in Hawaii in October. And of course, Ironman Hawaii was going on. And the pictures we have, we didn't know anyone. We didn't know what triathlon was all about. But the sport was exposed to my parents then. And then we grew up swimmers. We happened to grow up on a very, very competitive swim team where we were not the stars. <laughs> and my parents said, you know what? You can, all our kids were just really good at a lot of different sports. We were never the, the breakout star in one single sport. So there was a local triathlon and it was my mom who encouraged us to give it a try, literally. And literally just fell in love from there. And one thing snowballed into the next and Next thing you know, we were planning our family vacations all around New England, around triathlons, and just got really competitive and had the opportunity to make the junior national team in 99. And then that developed into a a short professional career after that. So 
it was really one thing kind of snowballing into the next. Now, if that's not a true try story, I don't know what is. I mean, you literally were conceived on the big island. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> I, I went back and looked at those pictures and it was athletes in tube socks, road bikes with huge wild arrow bars on. I mean, nothing you would see today, but it was fun and refreshing to see that because the sport had to evolve from somewhere. It did. And you are indirectly uh, a part of that history, you know, because you're actually planting your own marks. I'm just going to go ahead and say, you know, after you got into the sport of triathlon, I'm sure there was some transitions, but you are now a race director where you put on tries. And I, and I called you Mr. Um, no Limits but I should have said Mr. Without Limits because there are no limits to what you do. And that's the name of your company. So tell us a little bit about your evolution from trying at 14 to becoming a race director and having your own company and brand. It was, it, it was kind of a, an accident, to be honest with you. So after college, I actually took a break. So my mom was in a bike accident where she cracked her C6 and C7 spinal cord. And one of those walking miracles where doctors said she would never walk again. And during college, I said, you know what? Time to take a break. There's a lot of things going on with my family in my life. Took the time in the summers to help my mom with her rehab. And then it came time to graduate college. And I was looking at going to grad school. Didn't really know what I wanted to do, but figured, well, most kids just go to grad school. <laughs> and it was my mom who talked me out of it. She said, you know what? Before my injury, you were on this path to race professionally. You still have a passion for triathlon. Why don't you give it one year? Just one year. Take a year off. Because if you don't do it now, you'll never do it. And I think that's advice for a lot of kids coming out of college. It's they feel so compelled to get that job right away or going to a career track right away instead of pursuing a passion for an indefinite amount of time, if they could give themselves one or two years and just see where it goes. And I gave myself one year. And after one year, it went really well, had the opportunity to turn professional. And the goal was to race ITU, never had an inclination to race Ironman distance. I always liked the short competitive side of ITU racing. I call it the Formula One of triathlon. So that was the track I went on. And it was going well, but talent-wise, I was never going to be top five, top three in the country and make the Olympics. So it was always about kind of what's next. And my brother, who I got into racing with, who's older, he's seven years older, he had just moved to Colorado. And we always had this wild concept of we want to start this business or that business or that business. And it was just talk. It was just kind of fantasy talk. And it was our sister, who's five years older than me, finally kind of slapped us one day and said, you know what? You guys always talk about doing this or doing that. Why don't you just pick one thing and actually do it? And <laughs> looking back, that was kind of a turning point. We were at an amusement park, a water park, and it was like a Wednesday afternoon and it was raining. And she was the one that was basically kind of the catalyst to say, just see where it goes. And financially, we were both in a place in our life where we had no money. I was a struggling pro triathlete driving my 96 Jetta Volkswagen with about $600 to my name. And my brother had just worked in the mortgage industry, and this is 2007. 
So for those who know, the mortgage industry was not exactly booming around that time frame. So he was kind of doing a hard reset in his life. So at the bottom of the financial barrel is probably the best time to start a business. What do you have to lose? And that's kind of the mindset that we went into it with of, we have nothing to lose, but we have so much collective experience having raced around the world, having had all these experiences for the last 10 plus years from beginner races to international world championship races and really everything in between. So we kind of sat down and started picking and choosing the best of what we loved from all those experiences. And then we mapped out what was really missing in the Colorado scene. Cause that's where we were based out of the time. And really what was missing and what fits your audience so well is we were missing the beginner scene. Colorado had a lot of events geared towards what I call the professional age grouper. It's the super competitive amateur athlete. So the ones trying to qualify for Kona, the ones trying to go to worlds, but it didn't really have anything that was centered and focused on that beginner who just wanted to transition from their local 5k to triathlon. So that's where we put all our focus. And then kind of like my racing career, one race kind of snowballed into three and then three eventually snowballed into a lot of different sports and a lot of different disciplines within triathlon. And now we produce 33 events annually. But did you see how he sat back in his chair and was like, and we produce 33 events annually, like Mm, put some respect on our events. Yes. Your story, the hard reset, you going back and being selfless to help your mom as she over, you know, healed and, you know, became that walking miracle, that selfless act. All of this is just, it, it, it just, it, it just paints the picture of who you are as a person, your generosity, um, your level of care. And, and, and it's the word that I said earlier, selflessness. Because of all of those things, it brought you to this place to think about others, like what's missing and how can we serve this group of people? And so now you have events dedicated to my favorite group, the beginners. What has that been like for you? And how have you seen beginners come through your events and what are, I guess the, the question, this could be a, a very broad question is what are some of the takeaways that you see when you see the beginners at your races, knowing that you hit the right market? I, I think the funnest evolution and it's, it came about year five. So to give people kind of the broader picture, we put on sprint distance races. We do an all women's sprint distance event, Olympic distance, half Ironman, and we do an Xterra and also a gravel triathlon. And about year five, we saw a woman in our half Ironman event. And she, she said, you know what? I started out in your all women's try four years ago. And then I graduated to a co-ed sprint distance and then eventually did the Olympic distance. And here I am at a half Ironman. So it was that slow progression, seeing an athlete like that kind of come up through the ranks and progress in distances and truly enjoy and take so much out of each distance, knowing that she could do the next one. That kind of showed me that we were on the right path in terms of how we were setting up our calendar and how we were catering each event to a very specific audience that I call beginner to veteran. I always wanted to be the most professionally organized, laid back experience possible. Because I think we've all been to races where it's so professionally organized, it almost feels stale. 
It almost feels like cattle being prodded through a cart or a race that was so laid back in kind of so loosey goosey, so to speak, that you didn't really know what was going on. And I always thought you could have the best of both worlds. You could be super professionally organized for the type A athlete and still have it be a fun, relaxed, laid back experience. Okay. So take us through what makes your event so special. I think it starts at packet pickup. I mean, I've always been blown away when athletes come up and they say, what do you mean I can change categories or I can change distances right here at packet pickup? No other race lets me do that. And and I say, I'm here. It's a very easy change. Why not make the change if it makes your race experience better? And then when they get to the race, I think two of the things that we've always really focused on from the beginning is I've been in races that you show up, you have your number and your bike parking where you rack your bike, it's numbered. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I've always said beginners want to race with their veteran friends because that's probably who got them into the sport. Why not let them rack instead of transition near each other? So we call it Southwest Airlines. You get there early, you rack your bike where you want, you rack it with your friend. There's no assigned spot. And then a, a lot of races, and we use it too, we have a lot of volunteer groups that are cross-country teams or gymnastics teams, but our bread and butter volunteer is the triathlete themselves. So we give, because we have so many events, we give a lot of discounts. We call it our discounted entry program. And we try to really harness the triathlon community to at least volunteer once or twice a year. And those volunteers kind of act as an extension of our staff. Because who better to answer a question for a beginner on race morning than another triathlete who's volunteering? I like that. So it starts at packet pickup, it moves to transition, and then it brings it home to the athlete at heart. And that's where uh, you get, that is a really interesting play in terms of um, the referral program or the discount program for athletes, because this sport we know is definitely resource rich and injury fees can be very uh expensive over time. And I think that is a great way to get athletes to come back and serve and to give back because this year in particularly, I noticed there were so many um, challenges with getting volunteers and it it was hard mainly due to coming Mm -hmm. out of the pandemic and people just not being um, available. Did you guys experience the same thing as well? There was definitely a little bit of that more in 2021. And I think it's because there was just an overwhelming amount of events and activities trying to make a comeback and all overlapping with each other. There was kind of a, call it a supply issue of races where people were spread so thin. And now in 2022, and hopefully even next year, that has normalized a little bit. It looks a little bit more like 2019. Yeah. And I think there was still a percentage of the population that wasn't ready to be out in society yet. Yeah. And I'm sure you were affected by the pandemic. So what did you all do to kind of overcome the perhaps setbacks that you had experienced? The biggest thing was in looking back, I always say the pandemic feels like it was last week or it feels like 10 years ago. It's truly a time warp in terms of when it actually took place. But we also produce cycling races and cyclocross races. If you're not familiar with cyclocross, it's like Mario Kart on bikes. And even though during 2020, we not surprisingly had to cancel all our triathlons, we were able to still produce a very limited, very restricted, we call a stroke and stride series, which is a midweek swim run series. 
and we were able to produce same a very restricted and limited cyclocross series. As a company, that definitely floated us through the pandemic. And the biggest piece of it all was our community was so supportive. I mean, the amount of people that asked for a refund or were rude over email asking for a refund, I can count on one hand. And we're talking thousands of entry. The amount of emails that I got of support and people wanting to contribute and say, keep my entry fee, we want to see you survive, was honestly the most overwhelming piece of having been in business for the last 15 years. And, and I give a lot of credit. I know there's a lot of amazing communities out there in the country, but I give a lot of credit to Colorado. It holds a very special place in my heart. And I always say that Colorado is very locals first. And that the big box stores or the big chains in other industries don't do as well as the mom and pop shops when it comes to the Colorado business community. That's good to know. And I know that more people would have wished they had your story, but I think that speaks again to the community that you were able to think outside the box, create events that were, you know, pandemic friendly and then continue to move forward. And so not everyone had that experience, but I'm glad that you guys did. So speaking of, I want to go back now to your experience. We talked a little bit about the business side of you, but I want to talk about the 14 year old side of you. Like who was this 14 year old going for their first event and what, if you can remember, so put on your, your, your thinking cap, what was it like for you to race at 14? It it was fun because triathlon was, it was different back then. I want to call it more of a rebellious sport back in the mid nineties, early nineties. It was kind of more of a renegade activity because some of the conditions we raced in and looking back, some of the courses that we had, they would not be allowed today. Like as a race director, I look back at some of those experiences and say, yep, totally would have canceled that swim. That bike course in that flooding rain never would have happened. But back then we didn't know any better. So we raced on. So there was kind of this rebellious mindset to the sport that just said, no matter what the condition, push on. So that, that was kind of me as a 14 year old. I always kind of, I want to say living at the edge. I hate that cliche, but have, being a skydiver and a base jumper now, having stopped racing, that's still me as a person. I think I lost it at uh, skydiver and base jumper. So, um, okay, okay, okay. We got to come back to that. But you grew up as a swimmer, so the swim was no problem for you. Did you ever at 14, was there any part of the, of the, the three disciplines that weren't your strength? Well, definitely when I raced professionally, I was not a runner. You, you would not see me up sprinting the Brownleys anytime soon. So I got to start the race from a really front end position, got to see the front end of the group. And then it was a slow trickle to the mid backpack by the end of the race. But running is one of those things that I still love. It, it just never came naturally to me. Yeah, notice how he went from 14 to his professional. So we, we're still talking about the 14-year-old stuff. Like, so when you were 14, not when you was a pro. 14 <laughs> running was not my first love either. <laughs> but no, that's good. It reminds me of a race that I saw recently. I think it was in Dallas, maybe the U.S. Uh, uh, PTO U.S. Open. And getting to see how the race was truly won, um, this particular day on the run course and runners were able to come up from behind to win. And so each race presents us different obstacles, but to f- the, f- the fact that you were not a, uh, 
a runner, but now still enjoying running speaks volumes about the sport overall. So here's the deal, guys. Well, what I want to know, oh, where was ahead. Aquabike when I was 14? Because that's been the best edition of triathlon in years. <laughs> that's all I'm saying. And, and, and I was going to say something to that fact about, listen, you don't have to run to be in the multi-sport space. You can totally do aqua bikes and still be a part of this family because aqua bike, it takes technique and, you know, finessing. So if you are not a runner or you can't run for whatever reason, aqua bike is a real thing. So and it's our it. fastest growing category in all our races. Really? Mm-hmm. Duathlon's making a little bit of a comeback. Duathlon kind of died for a number of years and is slowly coming back but every year our aqua bike division keeps growing and it's growing by people who maybe they have that eight ironman race coming up and they don't want to blow out their knees or they just race for so long they don't enjoy running anymore but they still want to be a part of this and just maybe people want to do it because that's what they want to do yeah that's a real thing too so here at try beginners luck we always want you to know that there's always options. You don't have to say, oh, I wish I could. No, you truly can. As long as you just get out there and try. I would suggest going to um, USA Triathlon's website, which is usatriathlon.org to find out all of the different categories that could be an option for you. And then look up races based on that. I mean, one of the favorite additions that I haven't told you about that I don't know if you saw on our website, we added a stand-up paddleboard category to our triathlons this year. And it was only a handful of races, but instead of a swim, you stand up paddleboard, bike, and then run. And it was kind of in that beginner frame of, we got so many emails from people that said, you know what, I'm just not there swimming, swimming wise yet. I'm not ready for a triathlon or even coming out of the pandemic, the amount of emails I got from athletes who said, my pool's closed. And I said, I know your pool's closed. Everything's closed right now. But we looked at it and said, all right, how do we get those people who lost a year or two of swim training because their pool was closed and still get them to a triathlon? And the answer was stand up paddleboard. And just the outdoor community in Colorado, a lot of people either have a stand up paddleboard or they have a friend who has one. So we added it in a limited capacity in certain races, and it was the first category to fill up every time we added it. Wow. That, that to me, would seem like it's even harder than swimming. <laughs> but they loved it, and, and a lot of people <laughs> did it, and they said, I think I could have swum. And I'm like, well, you probably could have next year. Come okay, out. So, okay, sorry. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. I'm just getting so excited here, like that you created another option. Like you're an innovator, like you're creating opportunities for people so that they're not left out. And that really just warms my heart. So you created this paddleboard, um, standing paddleboard option, but how many people can participate in this? It was really limited. And when we created it, I looked at our venue size and it was really how big the exit point was for the swim exit and how many paddleboards we could kind of park. (laughs) <laughs> it kind of had to do with paddleboard parking. And I would look at it and say, all right, 50, maybe 60 boards we can fit on this beach. Any more than that, and it's just going to be a giant cluster and detract from the other people's experience. So it was all venue dependent. Wow. Okay. All right. 
Guys, if you feel like I'm all over the place, it's because I am, because I keep hearing so many cool, interesting things about Lance that I just want to continue to highlight. So going back to your beginning seasons at ITU and racing with ITU, what is that like? Because honestly, I don't think I've had someone directly who has focused, they, they've only focused on short races and short course before today. So take me into a walk of what was that like when you were doing ITU racing? To me, I mean, it's the Olympic format. It's what you see when you watch triathlon in the Olympics because it's draft legal on the bike. And I always personally like that format because it was dynamic. It was exciting. There was a lot more factors at play when it came to the race than just stay in your lane, kind of head down in the error bars, go as hard as you can go. And every race was so different. I mean, people say kind of the stigma on the sport is, well, you, you're drafting on the bike, so it's not as hard. And I can personally say I've been in draft legal races that were far harder than any non-drafting races I've done. And I've been in draft legal races that were easier than non-drafting races I've done. So really it was all over the board and you didn't really know what the experience was going to be like. So you were in the race and that kind of drew me to that segment of the sport. Mm, that's good. Um, I don't think draft legal hasn't really made a prominent stance in the States just yet, but I see that it's happening a lot more in the collegiate space where a lot of collegiate races are draft legal, which is giving them a little bit of that excitement to be able to draft off someone, but they better hope someone comes in front of them so that they can draft off them and, you know, relax themselves a little bit and pull. Um, but I think that's really cool. Do you see uh, the States in the triathlon world, um, USA triathlon picking it up more being draft legal? I think, I mean, just having been in the sport so long, it's been a slow adaptation in the U.S. And I, th I think the, the next wave of what's really coming and that a lot of age groupers and even professionals can really stand behind is the new mixed relay concept that we just saw in the Olympics. I told my team, because we have eight triathlons that we put on, and if we're going to add a new race, it's got to be something really unique, something really cool, and it would be a mixed relay. That's about right. And it's one of those formats that it's exciting for the veteran because they've never done it before. And it's exciting for the beginner because it's a very short format that's very doable for someone who's just doing their first triathlon. Absolutely. That's how I got into the tri space. And, you know, I think it's important. Relays are important, period, um, because it gives you an opportunity to test and uh, hone in on certain skills. Like you can test to see if you like this, you know, if you like the sport, right. But then when you become, um, more advanced and, you know, more of a veteran in the sport, you can actually sp specialize and be like, okay, this is where I want it. If it's the bike, that's where I'm gonna get out there and crush it. If it's a run for you, you go out and run. And if it's a swim, it's a swim. And so I think that's really, um, I think that's great. So how many mixed relays or do you do any races that are relays only? We don't do any that are relays only. Every one of our races has a relay component. And the number one thing we hear from the relay members after they race, especially the beginner beginners, is I could have done that on my own. And I'm like, mm. great. And, and then we typically see those same people, because I try to track it. We see those same people sign up as an individual the following year. Or, or they try to put together a new relay team with other beginners, and then they race as an individual. 
I like it. So you really do, from what I hear, when you are thinking as a race director, you're not thinking of it just a singularly event. You're thinking of it from a whole perspective. Like you really want to follow uh, your athletes from wherever they start to wherever they, you know, cap out with you. Like I hear you talking about, you know, the one young lady who started with at the women's only race and went to the sprint, went to the I mean, mixed event, went to the Olympic, did her first um, uh, iron distance with, with your and then um, you're tracking who's doing the paddle boards, stand up. You're, you're tracking all of this stuff. What do you do with the data and how does it uh, shape what you do for the following year? It, it's not even just the following year. It's kind of the next five years. I mean, one of the things we added, it was supposed to be an addition in 2020. It was going to be our first ever gravel triathlon. And gravel, as you know, in the cycling industry is the hottest thing running for the last like three years. We said, well, why not a gravel triathlon? So you asked about how we've used that data to start a new race. And in 2020, it's really, we use that data for the five-year plan and we wanted to start something new. And I said, all right, well, road cycling, gravel has been the hottest thing running for three years. Why can't we do a gravel triathlon? And a lot of the feedback we've been getting from a lot of our off-road triathletes that do Xterra and a lot of our road triathletes is it can work. Why not? And there's no standardized distance to the format. So we put together a race in Steamboat. Unfortunately, it was canceled because of the pandemic. It kind of sat on the back burner in 2021, but we launched it this past summer and it was a huge hit. It was a half mile swim, a 17 mile gravel bike that kind of rode closer to an Olympic distance bike, and then a four mile trail run. So I, I think a lot of race directors need to stop looking at triathlon as just this strict standardized format of Olympic distance and sprint distance and half, and come up with some creative, cool new concepts that capture the imagination. It's more about the adventure behind it than it is about a structured PR that people have to set. You know, I don't have much objection to what you just said, but who doesn't like a PR? Who doesn't like to challenge themselves? And so I think that that's why there's room for both and, you know, let's try some things that are new and set in stone, but then, you know, that tradition just hits home in a very good way. And so I love it all. I have not tried a um, gravel triathlon race yet, but I think that that will be quite interesting to see. Um, yeah, that would be interesting to see because I, I would it, imagine it, it being so peaceful. It is. And it opens up so many more venues that a lot of race directors might not have looked at in the past because it didn't have paved roads going into the lake or it didn't have single track trails that they could use for mountain biking. Yeah. Well, I am just so encouraged by uh, hearing your story, but I I feel like the audience will want to know about this whole base jumping and skydiving escapade that you're on. Is this a regular practice for you? And please tell us what's the difference between skydiving and base boarding? Is it base boarding or base diving? Base jumping. Base jumping. Okay. Yes. So I stopped officially racing in 2009 and was kind of just looking for what was next when your whole life since you were nine years old has been swimming, biking, and running for 40, 50 hours a week, you kind of need a break. 
And I, I took that break and kind of just saw kind of what came naturally to me. And it was kind of extreme sports, whether it was snowboarding, rock climbing. And then eventually a friend got me into skydiving, which eventually led me to meeting my amazing wife two years later. So it's one of those sports and communities of people that I just love. And it's a refreshing break from triathlon consuming every aspect of my life. So I, I think it's healthy when there's some separation and not everything that I do from waking up in the morning to go to bed at night is based around the sport of triathlon. I call it an escape. And to me, it's almost when I'm most creative and think of things to add into our triathlon is when I'm doing those sports that have nothing to do with triathlon. And so basically you just want to go jump your life away, like just jump and skydive. So as exhilarating as it is, I just looked up base jumping and my eyes got big, like, oh. Definitely, definitely one of the most extreme sports out there. My wife's not a fan. Haven't done it in a few years just because it gives her so much anxiety. But skydiving, still a huge part of my life. I actually just got back a couple of weeks ago, had the opportunity to skydive at Burning Man, which was an unbelievable experience. Wow. And just that experience alone, there were certain fun, creative aspects that I had these flashes of creativity of things I want to add to some of our triathlons. And one of them I'm adding this week for our final triathlon of the season. Okay. So my next question, before I find out what this track, what this element is that you're adding, you're going to love it. Do you fly solo or in tandem? Fly solo. Oh, so you've built up the hours to, to yeah, it's a long learning process to get to that point, but definitely worth it. If anyone's curious, uh, we have to have you back on to talk about that. I've been skydiving once and it is one of the most exhilarating experiences. And then it's like, then it's like just peaceful and you just coast and you're looking at like the creation of what's just so miraculous and beautiful that, wow, look at all this. Anyway, I get side, I got sidetracked. Excuse me. That's okay. It's easy to do. It's one of the most present things that I've ever done. Yeah. For anyone who hasn't done skydiving, I highly encourage you to do it, especially if you like the thrill of doing multi-sport, I think the thrill of jumping from a plane gives you a bigger overview of just life. Um, yes, it's risky, but if you are risk averse, they have these really cool indoor sky zones. I can't mm -hmm. think of the name of them right now, but the experience is quite similar, especially if you're in a high stress job to just go in there and just fly around in a circle in a safe moment. And it's like any stress you have, by the time you come out of that little wind tunnel, it's gone. And, and that's what I love about the triathlon community. It's, I don't want to call it an escape, but it's like the real world doesn't matter when you're out there racing. You're around like-minded people that are all about health and fitness. And, and that's kind of, you, you mentioned there's a lot of intentionality behind our structure to our season. And to me, it's, it's always been more about an entire endurance community than it has been about a triathlon community. Because we put on road cycling races, we put on running events, obviously triathlon, and also cyclocross. And I've always loved the crossover that each sport can bring to the other one, 
because a lot of our beginners come from just a running background or they come from cyclocross. And there's that crossover of you're not just a triathlete, you're an endurance athlete. And it's not just an endurance race, but it's an endurance lifestyle and it carries through the entire year. I love it. Thank you for getting us back on track. Cause as you can see, I'm all the way in La La Skyland <laughs> diving world. So speaking of, why do you think it's so important for local races, for people to race locally? Because I love and, and try to encourage people to race locally um, and support race directors, but I would like to hear it from your mouth and uh, giving your plea to the audience. I, I think local grassroots racing is the foundation of the sport. I think if we look at the demographics and participation numbers, triathlon saw a dip or a drop off around 2015. And I actually saw an uptick when uh, Rocky, the now sadly former USA triathlon CEO, he just left a few weeks ago. But when he came on board, there was a big grassroots focus. I saw that focus kind of trickle in to our local races. And all of a sudden I saw people showing up on mountain bikes, showing up on hybrid bikes. They didn't need race wheels. They didn't need compression socks. They didn't need an aero helmet. They just wanted to go out and participate in the sport. That's when we saw growth kind of reignite again. And people will work their way through the sport. Those who want to gravitate and naturally go towards Ironman, and either that's a bucket list for them or that's a long-term commitment for them, they'll find their way there. But the grassroots racing provides them a viable platform to kind of train them up and get them into the sport in a healthy way without breaking them and burning them out and just exposes them to that community and those resources that can help them on their triathlon adventures. I see so many people say, I'm going to sign up and do an Ironman. And I have nothing against Ironman, love Ironman, have a ton of friends who actually work for Ironman. But the people who sign up in Ironman is their first ever triathlon. I just shake my head and go, what are you doing? Like, what are you thinking? You've never even run a 5k off the bike. And now you think it's going to be fun to go on a marathon off a bike? Like, no, that is not going to be the best experience you can have. Go do a sprint, meet other triathletes, meet other training groups, and then set that goal and target. If that's your goal within a year to do an Ironman and go do it. High five, but start small. I don't care what your background is. I co-sign, I echo that start small and grow because if you do start at that very intense level of iron distance, that can discourage you. And the, the point of it is to continue to do this because this is a lifestyle and you don't just have to do one try and move on. You can literally try. I have the saying, try until you die. Like you can keep going and keep going this year at an opportunity to be at uh, um, age group nationals. And uh, was able to see so many of our seasoned triathletes really compete. And it was amazing. Even our nun was out there. And to see her at 91 years old doing the sprint distance was just like, you don't have any reason to not ever continue to do this. Like there's just no reason to. And the fact that she started this when she was in her fifties, this sport, you can pick up at any age, any distance. And I encourage you, if you're out in on the West coast, check out without limits. It's without limits.com or .co. 
No, both withoutlimits.com. Withoutlimits.com or .co. I got it right. Yeah. So check them out, especially if you're a beginner and you're listening to this because they specialize from beginner to veteran. And Lance, I can't let you go without putting you in the hot seat. Now that I know that you are a former professional, I'm going to have to think of some good questions for you for our, uh, what is it called? Rapid fire questions. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. Favorite place to race? It was... Let's see. Down in Colombia, it was this little island off the coast called San Andres. It, it was just such a culture shock. Ah, okay. What is the best food offering that you offer your athletes after a race? Ooh, it was a couple of years ago. And for years we had Wahoo's fish tacos. Did a whole breakfast burrito and burrito spread. Okay. Okay. What has been your best event that you've put on to date? Best is such a subjective term, man. There's so many events that stand out and I guarantee the events and I could rattle off about 10 over the last 15 years. It's where mother nature was not her kindest to us. A good example was literally about eight days ago, September 10th. We had the Harvest Moon Half Ironman, and it was all week long, one of those gorgeous, sunny, 80-degree weeks in Boulder, Colorado. And then on Saturday, Mother Nature decided to crank down the AC to 46 and throw a little bit of rain on top of the athletes all morning. And then the next day, I kid you not, it was back to 80 and sunny. But that day, that's what we had. And the athletes who came out there and were determined and persevered through 46 degrees and rain for a half Ironman, my hat goes off to them. It was not the easiest race to put on, but it was not the easiest race to race in either. Okay. What is the biggest challenge you've had to overcome and how has triathlon helped with that? Personally, or in terms of just business-wise. Let's do both because you're both, you're, let's do both. Yeah, I'd say, I'd say we've always had challenges over the years, whether it was a tropical storm, forest fire. I mean, Mother Nature has really kind of blessed us with every possible horrific condition that we've had to navigate at one time or another. But I mean, COVID, I mean, the pandemic, hands down, it's like all of a sudden we had to deal with that all in one year. And we had to do it in a way that balanced so many different perspectives and opinions and personalities and do it in a way that one allowed us to survive as a company, but also took care of our athletes in our community first. And I'd say personally, same thing. Okay. And I'd say triathlon, how did it help me get to that point to handle it? It was going back to that 14 year old self of, kind of racing in those extreme conditions when I was younger, it, it kind of gives you this mindset of, well, if I can get through that, I can figure out a way to navigate any other situation later in life. And because Lance actually gave you the semi date of when we're recording this, I figure I just go along with this because again, this may air in October. It may air in November. We don't know. However, 
what is going to be your final twist on that you picked up at Burning Man for your race this weekend coming up? Well, in our warehouse for years now, since the pandemic, somehow I inherited a giant inflatable rubber ducky. Like we're talking 10 feet big. And I said, we were literally packing the bags for the race a couple of weeks ago. And I said, we're going to use that giant rubber ducky. We're going to put him out on the swim course and we are going to cover him in envelopes of gift certificates from a lot of our sponsors. We have new and running shoes. We have Chipotle gift cards. I'm going to put a $50 bill in an envelope and we're just going to tape them to the rubber ducky. Tell the athletes before the swim, Hey, this is what's on that giant duck out there. Have at it and see what happens. And we're not going to put the rubber ducky on the course. He's going to be a little bit off the course. So you have to make a special point to detour to this rubber ducky. So for those who are interested in a PR, it just might not happen unless they're super fast because the rubber ducky is going to be out there. But potentially a new pair of running shoes for you. Well, if you just want to send me a pair, I can totally put my uh, email, (laughs) give you all the information you need. But with that said, I have one last question that we cannot, I can't let you leave here without. When you did race short distance or middle distance, because you went up to iron distance or half iron distance, did you pee on the bike or take a proper pee break? Always pee on the bike. Hey, (laughs) welcome to the pee on the bike. (laughs) I know that's anyway, just whatever. Well, here's it. Thank you so much, Lance, for being with us today. Whenever you try beginner's luck, you truly always win. Thank you so much for being with us. I'm Ashonda and we're out. Peace. Thank you. This was a ton of fun. Thank you for tuning in and listening to this episode. We need your help so we can continue to try at TBL. So for more information on where you can find and subscribe to this podcast, visit www.trybeginnersluck.com. And don't forget, whenever you try beginner's luck, you always win.